Hello again, and welcome back. It's time today to get down to the nitty-gritty of everything that I, um, I'm talking about here, and the main thing that I've experienced that I'm going to try to relate to you, and tell you as much as I can about the process of awakening. And I'd like to start off by telling you that I can't tell you how to do this. Because your process is going to be your own, depending on where you're at right now. What your resistance is. What you hold in your mind as beliefs. And yet if you're here listening to this, you're obviously curious about this subject as I started to be 25-30 years ago. And perhaps even earlier in life. As I did have some very interesting moments along the way prior to even thinking that there was this expansive, deep, connective, free feeling of being awakened to oneself, and thus to life. Because that's where we're going with this. And I'm going to tell you my story again, with more detail, and give an analysis of some other stories I know of, that I know to be true. The process of awakening is all about creating space. And that'll be the theme that keeps coming back and forth as I speak here. So I'll take you back through my journey. You know, as I've mentioned before, I didn't uh, find myself at some point in time in my life where I thought all of a sudden I need to be on a spiritual quest. I need to be you know, looking for myself. I was not that lost. I just knew there was more. And I knew that more wasn't in the world or of the world. It wasn't more money. It wasn't just the right job. It wasn't even the right partner. 100%. It was, now I can say in retrospect, a feeling. A feeling of wholeness, of oneness, of being allowed and giving myself permission to experience this life as the individual I am and knowing that that's okay. That the person that I am going, I am and was being and would be wouldn't get in the way of anybody else's expression. Because in order to feel it myself, I have to bestow that judgment upon others. That non-judgment, <laughs> as it were. So starting in about 1996 or 7, I did get this pull to start searching. Interestingly, it was around age 29, about the same time that Siddhartha Gautama wanted to know more too. Different journeys, same destination, and after arriving, probably a very similar life experience, being that it was feeling-based underneath all the differing experiences. So in my case... I read books, I talked to people, I read The Power of Now, I read Be Here Now, I read The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, and all of them resonated in one way or another because they all had nuggets of universal truth, of a feeling of reverence for life, of oneness with life, and of oneness within the self, without ego. Didn't always overtly say that, sometimes it did. And back then, I did not understand exactly what ego was. 
And yet, for me, it still happened in 2014 without that understanding. So what happened? What was the process? How the hell did I get there? And how the heck am I here now? Being able to talk about it quite clearly. Well, if creating space in retrospect is the biggest teacher, I'll talk a bit about what space is first. Because two episodes ago I talked about oneness and the universe and energy turning into form. And now we have this universe that we can look at, we can analyze and measure our part of it at the very least. And in so analyzing, we can know that there's material objects. There's planets and suns and rocks and dust and whatever else there is in space. But the bulk of what we know is actually still space. If we counted up the material stuff and put it in one corner, I don't know the number for this, but I believe it's less than a percent of the universe is occupied by things, energy that is turned into form. It's still space. So just from a very fundamental perspective, I would have to say that space matters a lot if everything is mostly space. Now, they say with the human body, the same thing. If we reduce ourselves to our atoms, our molecules, the physical things that make up the object of what you are, and then we measure the space between, you too are mostly space. Which begs the question, who are you? I would say you are the space between everything that you're presenting to the world as this object that looks like you. And that space is a feeling. And I didn't know all this back then, but wittingly or unwittingly, the further I went down my process, the more I created space, inner space. And the way to do that is... There's many ways to do it. I'll explain a few and I'll explain what I did. I tried some meditation classes early in my journey with my partner and on my own. And uh, I never found a meditation that I particularly was drawn to, that I liked, that I did on a regular basis. But rather, something I had been doing my whole life was contemplating. I didn't really know I was doing it. I didn't label it. I didn't sit down and intend to do it. I would just, at some points, either when I woke up early or went to bed and just laid there, I wouldn't be always mired in thought, worried about my life, thinking about what I needed to do tomorrow, wondering if I was being you know, a good person, responsible, successful. Rather, I would contemplate how I feel about myself in the world and how I feel in general. And that came to serve me well, because rather than meditating, I began contemplating at night. Contemplating, say, one thought or one question, or just contemplate, which to me means thinking without expectation of an answer. Just allowing thinking to kind of relax, dissolve even a little bit. And also, allow feelings to be a part of that contemplation, naturally. Allow yourself to give yourself the permission to interject the feeling of who you are into the contemplation. Because it is a key part 
if not the key part of your equation of processing anyways. And so in doing that for years and contemplating life, I was creating space. I was allowing myself space to not have to be busy doing in order to be, in order to experience. And along the way, I let go of ideas and concepts. You know? I would sit there, and I remember one night poignantly, probably about 2013, 2012, I threw my arms up in the air and just, you know, told the universe I had had enough of thinking about whether or not I was a good person based on how much money I made, how successful I was in the world. I wasn't saying money doesn't matter. I was saying I gave myself permission to dissociate from having the fact of money in my head lead to a feeling about worth in myself. And boom, a load was lifted. I had created space by getting rid of an idea and a concept in my mind that related to me and how I feel about myself. So you'll see in creating space that what it's really doing every time, each step along the way, is it's putting thinking further in the background in relative importance with regards to how I feel about myself, not in regards to how valuable thinking is in the moment to figure something out. That's a very practical and applicable thing that we can do and that we need to do because we already live in a world created or in a society, sorry, created by thinking. The world was created without thinking. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> um, and yet each step created that separation. And then I started contemplating, you know, if I'm thinking something over and over again, what's the point? Why don't I just make a decision and be done with it? And then I started to realize that even though I didn't have... I would say bad anxiety at any point in my life. I had the anxiety of being shy early in my life and, and thinking about um, myself in relation to other people and what they thought of me till my early 20s, mid-20s, till I practiced my way out of that. I'd get anxious moments, like many people do, you know, like worrying about uh, having enough, doing enough, being enough, being thought of a certain way. But I wouldn't... Um, harp on it too too much at any given time although in a way it made itself subconscious as I'll talk about later and came to the last process I needed to get rid of the very last one was that that slight anxiety be anxiety about being about being perceived as being nice in the world but we'll get to that so in creating space Besides the general contemplations that I would do at night, I did some actual practices. The most beneficial one for me along the way came from Eckhart Tolle in the book The Power of Now. And when I read this, I had one of those spine-tingling moments when he read that um, he wrote that at any given time, in any situation, you have three choices. You can accept the situation, you can try to change the situation, or you can remove yourself from it. And when I read that, just like when I read just the initial premise of the book, you know, it is always now. And he stated that very fundamentally and plainly a few times initially. I was like, okay, wow. Yeah, there's no argument about that. That's not Eckhart's teaching. It's not an opinion. It's not a philosophy. It is what is. 
And then with these three principles, same thing. It was boom. It like it was like someone told me something that I had no argument against and that if I actually understood it, but more than that, more than understanding it intellectually, if I ingrained it, that I would be changing myself fundamentally and freeing myself from something. And I did that. I practiced that for months afterwards. Anytime a situation came up, I actually stopped and asked myself, how should I optimally handle this situation? And not from an ego-based perspective as much as I could help it, even though back then I didn't have that separation quite as much. You know, do I try and change the situation? Do I try and, in other words, make it better, make it more acceptable for myself and those involved? Do I try and remove myself from the situation? Like, is this job that bad that I just have to quit? Is this relationship that bad that it can't be resolved through communication? Or I accept the situation, even if I don't like it. And that's one of the ones I found myself doing more. Because prior to that, you know, I did understand a lot about the state of the world and the fact that it, on some levels it kind of sucks. You know, that we're born into a world with all these systems and structures and money and, and you know, religion and government and we don't have any choice. For a while that really bothered me because I was like, God damn it, was I born in the wrong place, the wrong time? It's like, nope. After a while, I, I accepted that um, no matter what, I'm here now. Work with what you've got. It's a great starting point. And so I did. I accepted the systems of the world without having to like them. And to this day, there's a lot about them I don't like, but I certainly acknowledge the way in which they're working because we've made them work. But I also know there's collateral damage a lot of the time, and I understand that. And I won't accept the collateral damage when I can do something about it. So that's what I do with those things at this point in time. But that process of asking those three questions allowed for separation because it, it brought a couple things into, into play. And the main thing is making a decision. And making a decision frees up space. Space in your mind and space in your perception because you already have something that is known. You you make a, de a decision, you know what you're going to do right now. You know how you're going to feel because of what you do to a degree as well. And that's very powerful. Wherever there's space, sinking, thinking, sorry, sinks or subsides, and your perceptions, your natural perceptions, your sense perceptions of the world around you are more alive. They're able to do what they do without your mind constantly interfering and wondering, what should I do with it? What's going on now? What's next? <laughs> your perceptions work. You're just not constantly responding to the mind's compilation of your senses and the suggestions it could make. Because they don't matter. And that's a huge space to achieve and accomplish. And that's part of the process. I'd say that's part of anyone's process in any system of study. None of which need to be labeled. Um, mine is included. There's never going to be a label on anything I talk about. It's just going to be individual process, but with things in common because we're all human. We all have the same condition, the same human condition to a certain degree, but the process is going to be slightly different, even though what is being processed passed and through and what's going to be felt after transcending is the same. 
And so my process included that practice by Eckhart. It included contemplating things. And then the very final contemplation, which I think is fairly unique to myself. Of course, I can only say that because I only know others that I've studied. I don't know everyone. But I'm excited to talk about it again and again because it's so real and it was so tangible. And because even without me planning it, it worked. <laughs> it worked for what I'll call the real awakening because there's levels of awakening and I'll get to that after. And here's how it went. Starting in about September of 2013, I began contemplating based on this question. What would nature feel? And I knew not to ask what would nature think because nature doesn't think overtly. Even though other species have brains and have minds, the thinking and doing and the being are so um, interconnected in the moment. There's no real separation that they are one thing and they all lead to a feeling. So contemplating how would nature feel about what it's, what it is experiencing in life became the thing. And I knew I was onto something when I asked that question because I would contemplate and I started getting a feeling of, of lightness. I started getting kind of a vibration, not something, you know, overt or something um, that I couldn't control. Just a lightness is the best way to describe it. When I would contemplate the base feeling of nature, which was I was trying to get at, was what's the base consciousness that runs through all things alive, all consciousness? Because it must be the same. Because we're all born out of the same things. What is this nature all about? And thus, what is my nature? And so I contemplated it September, October, November. But not, not every day, not even consistently. And I don't know why certain nights I chose to do it. But I was getting into a more relaxed and meditative state of being more often in order to kind of let go of what I cared about the world, what the world thought of me, how successful I was being at my job or at anything else, to, to, to again, allow and create that space for this contemplation to even happen in. Because while I was doing it, it's very important to not be worried about other things. So I allowed myself completely the space and the time to do this without any expectation. I wasn't thinking, you know, one iota, is this going to be this thing they call awakening or enlightenment? Which it could be called, even though I've never gone around talking about that. Now that I haven't others to compare it with and other stories, I do know that that's what uh, eventually happened in 2014. So I kept contemplating and then on January 11th, 2014, I contemplated it yet again. And on that night, I laid down and I contemplated nature. And yet, I was getting this really good feeling that I was close to knowing something, to feeling something that I couldn't talk about, couldn't describe, couldn't put into words. And yet I knew there was something else that I needed to add into it to try in order to to, to um, perhaps get closer. And I didn't even know exactly what I was getting closer to. But as I spoke about in the very first episode, I contemplated being a bear in the woods 
and trying to feel what the bear would feel in its bear nature being just a life form in the world, in its environment, and connect with that. And that's what happened. As I was contemplating, I sunk into feeling as a bear felt, which meant I created space and left Steve behind, which means I left my mind behind. Because as a bear, I wouldn't have the rational, self-conscious mind and ego that a human has the capacity to have. I would just be there. And I would be reacting to the environment around me only as a bear could. So really only as something very pure in nature could. Something without the capacity to think would have to just rely on its instincts, its feelings, and what it had evolved to be at that point in time. And that was enough for me to create enough space that a separation actually happened. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was there. I felt like I was in the woods, in nature. My imagination was surely playing a part. I wasn't transported somewhere else in the world. I wasn't channeling anything. But I could feel the forest around me. I could see the forest in front of me. I could see a path going off to the left and one to the right. I could see a tree up ahead. I could f hear water often to the left in the distance. I could see the sunlight coming through the canopy. And I was there. And I was just being. I wasn't thinking at all. And I stayed with that for a little while. How long? I don't know. Maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. And eventually I was just completely calm and at peace. And I opened my eyes in the room, in the bedroom. The lights were off. The door was open a crack. My partner at the time was in the other room. Lights were on. It was quiet. But I opened my eyes. And I still had that feeling. I wasn't thinking at all. There was no thought in my mind. I knew what had happened. And I could picture it in my mind, but it wasn't me thinking about it being in my mind. It was just there. So I got up, and I went to the door, and I opened it a crack. And I peeked outside, and I looked at my partner. I looked around the room. I just smiled a little bit. Then I went back in my room, and I kind of shook my head. Part of me was like, is this real? And of course the irony is, it was more real than ever. Because I wasn't thinking about where I was or who I was, I was just being. I put on my clothes. It was about, it was just after 10 at night, probably approaching 10.30. And I went in the other room and I told my partner, I'm going for a walk now. And I lightly walked out the door and just went out into the night. No thinking, no plans, no anything. And I felt high as a kite, even though I had no experience of getting high in any other way other than getting a bit drunk in my life to compare it to. I had nothing to compare it to, but I knew. I knew without thinking that this was something fantastic. I breathed in the air. I looked down the street. I walked. When I got to the end of the street, I didn't plan on going left or right because I hadn't pre-thought it. I had no thinking going on. I just turned the way I felt. It wasn't going to be right or wrong anyway. I wasn't going anywhere. I had no plans. 
and I walked around a little while, and then I went back home. I didn't say much, if anything, from what I can recall, and went to bed. Now, when I woke up the next morning, my first thought was almost, holy crap, was that a dream? Was that real? And all I had to do was ask that question and know that it didn't linger. I didn't have to think about it to know that was real and it's still real. It remained that way. That thought didn't diminish. That feeling, sorry, didn't diminish. There was no thought. That was the the complete cessation of thought which comes from creating so much space that it renders thought unnecessary. And I held that space. I began illuminating the disconnect six days later. I started writing the book, which will become the first book, telling this story and further observations on this state of being. That book will be coming out sometime. But I wrote the majority of it in the weeks following and came up with illuminating the disconnect, started writing about it, started sharing it, uh, became a a beautiful compulsion because I didn't have to think about it. All this stuff was just springing from me, working through me, me realizing it was a universal consciousness. It is what Eckhart has experienced. And later I would realize more fully in, in, in analyzing that it was what the Buddha had experienced. It wasn't anything that mystical that unattainable, obviously, is just something that we haven't focused on as a species because we've been working with our mind and within the systems our mind created for so long that it seems second nature. And it is second nature because you know what? Being without it is actually first nature. And you know I say that without begrudging it. I think our thinking mind is absolutely fantastic. The things we've done on one level are interesting and quite incredible. But now I do know the collateral damage that comes with it. We accept it, but wow, we've done a lot of very destructive things along the way, and we've created a lot of unnecessary suffering from this ego that comes as part of the package of having such a powerful self-conscious mind. And so that was my process. There's more to the story, and I'll get to that later, but for now I want to go back and compare notes. Because... Um, if you know Eckhart's story, which he tells very briefly and which he speaks of more poignantly in um, in a video, which you can look up on YouTube, he talks about what happened to him. I'll give a brief overview because I don't like to speak on others' behalfs, but it's a fairly simple story and the facts of, of it are fairly plain. Because what Eckhart says is that he was in a very despondent time in his life depressed, even suicidal, wondering, you know, do I want to be here? And one night he laid down with that thought in mind, not knowing what to do or what to think. And then he did say to himself the phrase, I can't live with myself anymore. And in retrospect, it's now obvious that the aspect of Eckhart that was even asking that question was the bigger aspect. The wholeness of his being was asking that because in asking that question, it begs the question, if I cannot live with myself, 
how many of me are there? So you see, if his ego had been asking that question, he never would have gotten past it. There would have just been more depression, more self-suffering, more despondency. And there could have even been the interjection of suicidal thoughts to the point of doing it. Because the ego can cause us to go that deep into the delusion of believing an identity is ourself, as I'll explain again in a future episode, which I explained in the first one about what happened to me later in 2014 and how I got out of it and finally stuck into creating space and dissolving the ego. But Eckhart's greater being must have been asking that question. He must. Sometimes you get to a place where you're so despondent, you are perhaps so at the end of your ropes that you you ask something of yourself of the universe and you actually have given up hope you don't care and in a way that's a great place to be because then you're being more honest with yourself and you're allowing space so again space is the important part here because if Eckhart says I can't live with myself and he realizes there's two of him and that one of them is asking the question then the other one must not be real. And the space between those two is where you find the answer. And that's where his being took it upon itself to answer the question and dissolve his ego so that that question would be answered and he wouldn't have to ask it again. And it took him years to analyze it and reverse engineer it and I understand that because for him it was a spontaneous thing it was unplanned and it was unique he didn't know of such a thing happening and yet afterwards he, he felt as I felt that experience of lightness of being of not having to think of having the voice in the head diminish because the voice in the head no longer is valid enough to represent you even though you can use these identities in the world. You know, I'm Steve, but there's a space between me saying I'm Steve and me really being Steve. I'm a runner. I'm a gardener. I'm a philosopher. I'm a musician. I'm an artist. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I can say those things, but even in saying them, I know that they're only placeholders for me functioning in the world when those relationships make a difference. Those relationships are there anyways without me having to have an identity around them, you see? There's always space for me from identity, even when I use them. The idea isn't to transcend it and then just speak so plainly that you don't use it. You won't re-engage it if, it doesn't, if your ego doesn't get involved. Now let's tell the third story, Siddhartha, who became a Buddha, not the Buddha, as I like to say. Because we're all potential Buddhas and Christ and Eckhart Tolles. <laughs> we can all feel this while still being in the world and using identities about being in the world. So Buddha went through a process as well, unlike Eckhart, but perhaps similar to mine, honestly. Only that bugger, it only took him six years. It took me from 29 to 45. Hmm. Not that I did anything right or wrong. I'm me. And that's the way it worked this time. You're you. For you, it might happen in 12 seconds. 
for you it might not happen, but you'll still find a deep peace anyways. So, for Buddha, he knew there was more once he knew there was unnecessary suffering in the world. And so, the process for him was investigation, going inside, deep meditation, challenging the body, challenging the senses, trying to negate the senses, trying to get rid of suffering by experiencing so much suffering that suffering obviously couldn't affect him anymore. It doesn't matter. And yet, at the end, he realized, well, why the heck should I suffer at all? Why should that be part of the plan? So, he created space. And ultimately, he gave himself an ultimatum. He sat under the Bodhi tree, and he said, I'm not moving from this spot until I have attained what I'm here to attain, till I understand, till I know. And he sat there. And he sat there. And what did this sitting there do? It created space. Because the longer he sat there, the more his thoughts couldn't matter. Because they weren't going to change the world around him. It was being what it was, irregardless of the mind labeling it. You see? So much space that after a time, all there was was him and space. And it was all one thing, one experience at the same time. And his ego dissolved because it didn't matter. It couldn't help. It couldn't change the situation. There was nothing to achieve. There was nothing more to experience outside of himself. Boom. Process of awakening. I think I'll leave it there for today. I believe that's enough to chew on and to learn what needs to be let go of for you to know yourself fully. Right here, right now. And hold it. Not let it be covered up again by too much thought, too much thinking, any identities. And I'll describe in a future episode pretty soon how we become covered up from being awakened little beings in this universe, in this world, in this human life experience. So, if you have any questions, you can reach me and I will answer them. Steve at IlluminatingTheDisconnect.com If you'd care to support me speaking freely here about being myself so that you can know that you can be yourself, have a listen to to the end part here and you'll uh, see how to connect with me. I appreciate your time, your attention, and I wish you nothing, nothing less than knowing exactly who you are right now. Hello fellow humans and thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, ever since I got this thing started, which was years in the making, I've been excited about uh, doing this and only this. It's what gives me the most pleasure in life is helping others help themselves. And it's actually what I know the best. Despite all the other things I've studied for and uh, have had as careers, as experiences, as hobbies, as connections with life, this is it. So to that end, if you'd like to experience, if you'd like to support a very simple human doing this, it doesn't take much for me to survive and... Anything over and above that that I ever make from this will always go back into helping others directly. And you can support me 
by finding me on Red Circle Podcasts, which may be where you're listening. Uh, There's donating information there. I also have an account with something called LibraPay, where you can find me as Steve Alat, or you can send uh, a donation through PayPal, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. If any of those aren't sufficient or fail, send me an email. Again, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. We can figure something out. And uh, thanks for listening. I really, really hope it helps. And if it does, do send me a message. Thanks for your support.